This episode is dedicated to telling my birth and delivery story. Hi, everyone. It's July, and it has now been about a month since I gave birth to my baby girl, Sarah Joy, on June 5th, 2022. I have been looking forward to recording this podcast episode since before I gave birth because, as with all things, birth and labor and delivery and pregnancy, all of this is health related. And while not everyone is going to be pregnant and get pregnant in their life, and not everyone is pregnant right now who's listening to this podcast episode, what is relevant is what happened in my labor and delivery. And that is that things did not go according to plan. And you can hear that often from women who are pregnant and they develop their quote unquote birth plan, but things really didn't go the way that I was expecting to. And so today I want to talk about what it means and what you can do when your health journey doesn't go the way that you're planning to. When many of us might have a plan that we're very aware of, things that we're trying to achieve in our health, everything from being able to run a certain amount of time or to be able to lose a certain amount of weight. But then we also have the unspoken expectations that we can have thrown off in our lives, such as I'm going to be able to have a certain amount of pain-free living, or I'm going to be able to eat certain foods. My life is going to look like XYZ thing. And if you're listening to this podcast, it's likely that you've run into at least one or two expectations that have not been met in your health journey. So on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about what you do with those unmet expectations, disappointments, frustrations, and just when things do not go the way that you are planning. I have five key steps and recommendations that I used in my own journey recently, just a month ago, to help me process my own labor and delivery going differently than what I wanted and expected. So if you've ever gone through this, this episode is for you, and I hope you are encouraged by today's episode. Welcome to the Better Belly Podcast, where we find freedom from food restrictions, we increase energy in our lives, and we begin to feel more healthy and vibrant than ever by finding the root causes of our health problems. My name is Allison Jordan. I'm a marathon runner, functional medicine, health coach, certified craniosacral therapist, gut health nerd, lover of Jesus, and owner of Better Belly Therapies, a clinic based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, that works with both virtual and local clinics clients to help them achieve the best health of their life. I am here to walk with you on your journey to a better belly and a better life. We're going to go beyond popping a probiotic and just checking out our poop. In this show, we are going to go deep into gut transformation strategies that last for your entire life. If you are ready to feel your best, get ready to roll. You are in the right place. And just as a reminder, this information is not meant to diagnose, manage, or treat disease. Always consult with your own health practitioner before you make any changes to your health.
All right, guys. So I just want to let you know, if you are listening and you're kind of on on the edge of, what well, should I listen to this? This is on pregnancy. I'm not pregnant. I don't want to be pregnant or it's just not relevant to you. Any of these things, don't worry. I'm not going to be spending a huge chunk of time on just the details of the labor and delivery. Uh, however, I am going to use it as a case study to talk about unmet expectations in in our health journeys. And so, and what, what do we do with them? What do we do when our health journeys go in a different direction than we were planning or then we were, and not just planning, but like actually aiming for, especially when, you know, at this point in your life, you might be listening to this podcast because you've had some chronic health problems and you've been actively trying to get better. You're actively trying to to do things to get you a net positive and you're not getting that. So what do you do even with those things? And so that's more of what today's episode is about. And I'm using my labor and delivery story as an example. So for context, let's talk about what the actual, what my goal was and what I wanted out of my labor and delivery. And, and not just what I wanted, like this selfish thing, kind of just what what I was setting myself up for. Because labor and delivery, I knew it was going to be hard. It wasn't going to be this magical da, 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 thing. I, I was preparing for it to be hard. I just, you'd never know quite how it's going to go. And so my goal in labor and delivery was I wanted to do a home birth. I wanted to avoid the hospital system, which for me was multiple layers. I wanted to avoid unnecessary costs. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, and it might, and I don't know what state or what uh, even nation that you might be living in listening to this, but in the state of Michigan, it costs an average of $5,000 to hire a home birth midwife to to not just help you deliver a baby, but actually take care of you both before doing all of your checkups before you give birth. And as well, um, might include some postpartum care as well, but about $5,000 on average to do a home birth midwife. Um, and then to do a hospital birth, whether that's vaginal or cesarean, is going to be on average in the state of Michigan, $6,500 to $15,000. So six and a half to $15,000 is going to be on average after insurance on average. Uh, it's going to be the smaller number would be for vaginal birth and then 15000 post-insurance coming through for cesarean. So I was avoiding, wanting to avoid unnecessary costs in my birth. I was wanting to avoid unnecessary interventions such as Pitocin, epidurals, painkillers, you know, medications, all those things. I wanted to avoid unnecessary injury from labor and delivery. And this was really big for me. I have, you know, working, doing craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation and being a body worker and even doing the work I do with the functional lab testing that I've, that we do. And we, when we're looking at women's whole health, I have seen over and over again, huge amounts of health problems coming up after a particular labor and delivery scenario for a woman. And so I, uh, and typically this is related to, um, something that goes on with, you know, the whether it, it could be interventions done just for a vaginal birth, again, epidurals or pitocin, um, back labor, forceps, vacuum, all sorts of things that either could harm the mother or the child. Um, and then it also includes cesarean as an intervention of just the whole surgical, um, the whole whole experience of the surgery 
causing actual injury. And so I was hoping to have faster recovery and have a healthier baby by doing a natural birth in my home, being trained and training myself and actually taking a class and how to do a, a birth from front to back end without doing any pain medication or, or needing to rely on medication in general. So I've had many, many, again, clients with pelvic pain, urinary incontinence, painful sexual intercourse, chronic low back pain, nerve injury that causes ongoing numbness in their back or their pelvis, um, just due to these interventions that they have had. And so um, unfortunately, I know that's not every single woman out there, but I also, because of my GI history and my gut health history, just have had a lot of negative interactions with the hospital. And so going into this pregnancy, I was very motivated and very much knew that I was going to feel safer and better taken care of and just be more relaxed if I was able to do my labor and delivery at home opposed to in a hospital system. Um, Some people, one thing to note, I am not a I'm not sadistic about my about pain. I'm not like, ooh, I love pain. So I wasn't choosing home birth because I just wanted to gruel it out and prove to everyone how tough I was. There's actually a lot of ways that you can manage pain. Like if you've ever managed pain after everything from stubbing your toe to being sick with the flu um, to having surgery, you can manage pain through um, music, you can manage pain through lighting candles or heating pads or having someone hold your hand or rub your hair, like all these different things are actually pain management methods. And I wanted to use pain management methods that were community-based with my husband, being in a familiar environment, which was my home, maybe having candles, doing all the normal things that I do to handle pain. And so um, basically just having a home birth was about me being in a place, doing a thing I knew I was going to be doing. I don't see um, pregnancy as a sickness. I wanted to be somewhere, you know, that I see sick people go to the hospitals, but I'm healthy. I wanted to be a healthy person in my home doing something that my body can do. And I just wanted to avoid being in the hospital. So that was my goal. (laughs) And to achieve that goal, I just, I didn't just hope and wish. And that's another thing that um, I want to be really clear about is that um, it's not just, oh, me saying, well, this is what I'm going to do. And I just showed up and assumed I was going to be able to do it. You know, you're, if you, if you are a runner or if you at least want to run something like a marathon or a half marathon, you know, you can't just show up to the day of the race and be like, I'm going to be able to run this and it's totally fine. I've never run a mile in my life. No, you want to, you want to prep. And so I took really intentional steps. I found a home birth midwife. I took something called the Bradley method, which taught both me and my husband how to do natural childbirth. Um, it's the Bradley method is a really wonderful because uh, it also can be called husband coach childbirth. So my husband was really involved. I read books like The Fourth Trimester, Breastfeeding Made Simple. I read a book on the Bradley Method. I changed up my exercise routine. I went to the chiropractor. I got acupuncture and craniosacral therapy to help my body adjust as I was going through pregnancy so that I would be able to go into my labor and delivery as good as possible. Um, I did things like changing my diet, which I've talked about going grain free after my miscarriage, my first birth or my first pregnancy, um, because I found that that was causing inflammation in my body. I took 
a prenatal supplement with DHA. Um, and these are all things that I was doing to help my body have the nutrition it needed, the rest it needed, the strength it needed, um, help my mind have the intelligence I needed to just do labor and delivery at home really well. And so going into this, you guys know me, if you've been listening to the podcast, we have almost 100 episodes now coming out. Um, so excited for next week being 100. But um, I, I'm thorough and you've, you've heard me talk like I'm going to know I'm going to research everything I possibly could to have success and to be as educated as possible about what this process could look like, how long labor could last, all these different things so that I would be able to have success. I very much did not think that I was going to need a hospital transfer, be going to the hospital. I had so many friends say, well, what if you need to go to the hospital? I said, I'd go to the hospital. I'm not going to let myself or my child die or be sick or be ill if I need to be at a hospital. And the long story short is I labored for two days for about 48 hours and was not able to have my child. My water had broken and I needed to go to the hospital to figure out why I was not fully dilating, what was going on. I was really close to being fully dilated for just like 12 hours. It was super long time and we didn't know why I wasn't fully dilated and my water had broken. So I needed the baby to come out. Well, we get to the hospital and I find out after not as quick as the sounds it was, it it took, I don't know how long it took, but with full on contractions going and I am somewhere around nine centimeters dilated, I am, my body wants to have this baby. I am exhausted from two days of labor. Um, I learn that my baby is not head down. And this is something that my home birth midwife had checked using home birth using means that are not ultrasound. So checking where the baby's heartbeat is in the womb, where basically where can you hear the heartbeat? Is it up high towards the rib? Is, is it low down towards the pelvis? Checking um, where does the baby's head and pelvis feel like they are? And something I had asked my midwife is, well, how do you know what side of the baby is the head and what's the pelvis? And she explained, well, the the pelvis is wider than the head, so it's gonna th- it's gonna feel thicker um, as she's feeling on either side of the baby compared to the head. And there's there's clearly two bulbous ends to a baby. There's their butt, and then there's then there's their head. And so in her evaluation, um, both the heartbeat and the head, um, hip evaluation suggested my baby was head down. Turns out after getting an ultrasound and not getting an ultra, not just getting one ultrasound after getting two ultrasounds because, and I got an ultrasound when I got to the hospital and it wasn't clear to that uh, provider what the ultrasound was saying. And so they brought in a second provider and that provider after more or less quickly looking up and down and what was going on, declared my baby was breached. This was a big turning point because um, my home birth midwife had said that I would be able to deliver breach if my baby were breached because she's trained in how to do that. And this is not a podcast episode, like I said, fully diving into the depths of pregnancy and delivery and all that jazz, but all that to say that you can safely deliver a baby vaginally um, who is breached, that is butt or feet down, not head down. But it takes different techniques. It can take longer, um, all sorts of things. And so 
finding out my baby was breached, I technically had the option with my midwife that I could go home and try to deliver my baby there um, and vaginally with her. But in hospital systems, or at least the hospital system I was at and most that I know of that I've heard, they do not traditionally or typically do vaginal births with a breech baby. So they wouldn't let her do it there. Even though my home birth midwife was with me there as my provider um, communicating with the hospital staff that we were with. And so um, basically my option at the hospital was, okay, you get a cesarean. And I was faced with two choices. And this was this is what I want to talk about on the podcast today. This is what if, if you've ever been faced with two choices, to, to do a procedure or to not do a procedure, to take a medication or not take a medication, to work with a provider or not work with a provider, to you might have, an op, you might have multiple options, three different options, four different options, all with the same goal. You know, my goal ultimately, even more than just having a home birth, was to have a baby. I wanted a baby outside of my body that was healthy. I wanted to not be pregnant anymore. I wanted to be healthy and alive at, and, and, and like I said, healthy, like not injured or damaged after um, my pregnancy as much as I could, could control. And so I was given an option. Look, Allison, I wanted a baby and I could either stay in the hospital and I would do have a cesarean or I'd go home and try to do a vaginal birth. I full full disclosure, I was in a lot of pain at this point in the hospital. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the fact that pain is hugely subjective. And I don't just mean like it's in the eye of the beholder or it has to do with your your pain tolerance level. But actually, you can take one person who theoretically has the same pain tolerance all the time. And if you have them, we've done, uh, there's been lots of research done where if you, for example, have someone put their hand in ice cold water and they're timed, how long are they willing to let their hands stay in that icy cold water? And so all they're measuring isn't, isn't so much how much pain the person's in, but, but just time. How long is that person willing to keep their hand in ice? They will, on average, all people... Um, when you when you test them for this, will be able to hold their hand in water longer if they are with somebody else or, for example, holding the hand of somebody that they care for or care about. And so there's been all sorts of variations on tests like this where we've studied that our ability to handle pain changes massively with our environment. Do we feel safe? Do we feel secure? Are we around people who we love? Um, are there other factors that help us help us to handle the pain and feel the pain. And so I was at the hospital. At this point, I was exhausted. I was scared. I was frustrated. And I was getting news that I really, really didn't want. And so even though I think my contractions were probably the same intensity that they'd been for several hours, um, I was suddenly in a lot more pain and felt that I could not handle it anymore. And so Ultimately, I did decide to get a cesarean. And this is what I want to talk about because after getting my cesarean, I had a lot of friends and family very kindly say, hey, how are you doing? They knew that my heart was to have a home birth. They knew that I was very educated on on what it's like to go to the hospital and possible risks of getting things like cesareans. And they knew that my heart was 
probably going to be a little tender about that. That can happen. It's very common for women when their birth plan doesn't go the way they want it to, to just feel discouraged or disappointed, frustrated. And I ended up telling people something that surprised me because I very much did not I never wanted the cesarean. However, by the time it was the time to make that decision and I was able to make it, I had so much peace about it. And I was able to tell people, no, I'm not upset that I had the cesarean. And so here are, I want to talk through the five things that I I broke this down to myself even saying, why am I not so upset about the cesarean? Because there are so many things that happen in our health, such, for example, in your gut health, you might go gluten-free and then it doesn't work. And then you have to try something else and it doesn't work. And you have to try something else. You have to try more and more things. And and you have to process everything. Every time something discourages you, every time you have unmet expectations about foods you'll be able to eat or places you'll be able to go or energy you're going to have, like, do you have enough energy to work full time anymore or to have another kid? Or um, I've even had clients who found out or realized that they need to delay having kids because their body's still not healthy enough to have a child the way that they want. What do you do with that information? And how can you come out of it healthy? So this is, these are the five things that I did myself that helped. Number one, the thing, the first thing that I found that was really helpful in me being able to absorb this change in, in the plan of my health was planning ahead. And this, for me, was really understanding as much as I could understand. I talked about already how I did something called the Bradley Method, and I had a home home birth midwife, and I asked so many questions to my home birth midwife and to doctors once I was at the hospital and to friends who'd had given birth or um, who'd had home births or who'd had different types of birthing situations. I kept a list. I literally kept a list on my phone that just said, you know, questions to ask, you know, about birth, something like that. And then I had every single question, I had a bullet point next to it and I was able to click it and mark it checked every single time I'd ask that question and then write the answer next to that question. So I have this very long document that has all my questions that I asked throughout my pregnancy at every single checkup appointment. By the way, I don't think I would have been able to do that as well if I'd stayed in the hospital system. Um, And I don't think this is necessarily true for every hospital system, but I did start off this second pregnancy of mine in the hospital system. And it's the question and answer time is very, very short. It's usually kind of rushed along. But so just to know, I was able to ask sometimes 30 or 40 minutes worth of questions and answers and then asking clarifying questions so they could fully understand some process. Um, but that was really huge to know by the time I came to the point of a cesarean versus a breach um, birth, I had already asked my midwife, do you do breach births? What do you do in breach births um, if you know that a child is breach? How do you approach it? All these different things. That those questions were able to give me knowledge so that by the time I was given a choice between A and B, I had a little bit of working knowledge to work with. And that just helped me when I was in a lot of pain, really tired, frustrated, and having a lot of emotions. 
Another thing that my husband and I also did to help plan ahead was we had a financial buffer knowing that if we have to go to the hospital, there will be an additional expense uh, even after insurance. And we wouldn't know what that expense is either because we don't know if we went to the hospital, what types of like, why would we be going to the hospital? What might um, need to happen to us? And so we were intentional um, throughout my pregnancy to continue to save money to have a financial buffer in case and basically in case we had to go to the hospital, which has the most um it has the most question, the most amount of questions around how much would it cost if you end up going there. Um, it's if you work with insurance or if you've experienced that, you've noticed that it's not like going to a restaurant and just buying a burger and knowing it's going to be fifteen dollars and then tip, or it's going to be twenty dollars for your steak and then tip. You don't know how much it's going to be at a hospital, unfortunately. So planning ahead was the first thing that when I looked back and I saw how did I end up doing okay when my health journey did not go in the direction I wanted? The first thing was merely me being able to say, I did plan ahead. I did set a foundation for me to be able to walk forward and walk on if if we needed to make a plan B or C or D. Now, I know that's not always possible. Sometimes there's things like freak car accidents that can really be impacting. That could be something that you know changed your health trajectory. But after that point, you could, um, if you don't know something's coming up, like you don't know that, oh, I um, am being treated for certain things, everything from potentially cancer to needing surgery or being recommended surgery for a certain problem like knee pain or uh, headaches and migraines, whatever it is, um, if you can't anticipate needing to make a big health decision, the big thing might be to focus on what information can you gather in the time that you were allotted. Um, number two, the second thing that I felt was really helpful in me being able to process and be at peace with the change in my uh, health journey and health plan was acknowledging that emotions matter. This was really surprising to me because the defining moment when I decided that I was going to do a cesarean was not logic-based. And I was actually trying to make a logic-based decision up until the point that I realized that wasn't going to work. I was asking the anesthesiologists, you know, is there any way that I could get some pain medication just to calm my body down or to, so because I was in a, so much pain that I actually felt like I was having a hard time making a decision. I really, really wanted to have consent from myself and my own body and feel like I could look back and say, whatever decision I made, whether I was going to drive home to continue labor there or whether I was going to do the cesarean, that I'd be able to say, I'm made that decision in full consciousness, not out of fear or any of that. And I'm going to, that is alluding to one of our upcoming points here, but there was a point where my home birth midwife, who was in the hospital room with me and with my husband and with my mom, who was also there, she kind of looked at me and said, Hey, I think what your two options are is you either are going to do cesarean and you're going to walk home with your baby today and you're going to be done with labor today or you're going to go home and you will have two to five more days of labor um, to give birth to this baby um, breach. By the way, you can do, you can give, wait that long to give birth to a baby who's breached because 
their head is not, um, the main concern with water being broken is that the baby might asphyxiate on myconium, which is kind of like a poop that comes out. And that can only happen if they're head down. But if they're head up, they can't asphyxiate it on it because their butt is down. (laughs) That's kind of the nature of being breech. And fun fact, I learned this while I was, uh, after my water had broken, apparently your body continues to make amniotic fluid, even when you are, uh, in labor. And so my baby was still going to have amniotic fluid. Um, and it just wasn't going to be, it wasn't a concern. So that was the information I had. And I ultimately sat there and thought, I'm in a ton of pain. Um, I live about 40 40 minutes from the hospital that we went to, I'd have to travel 40 minutes home. I'd have to then wait two to five more days, unknown amount of time and be in labor uh, on top of the labor I'd already done. And basically I was exhausted. I was scared. I didn't know if I'd have the energy to continue to do more labor. Um, And I really didn't have a lot of psychological bandwidth anymore to handle stress. I could just tell I was at this tipping point where I was done. Internally, I felt done. Everything had gone far beyond. I was never expected, never in my wildest dreams expected to hear that after two days of labor that my my birth was, my baby was breech. And so I just kind of was at it. I knew that I kind of told my husband after all this, if I had known my baby was breech by the time I went into labor, I think I would have been able to do a vaginal birth just fine. We would have done things differently. Even if my birth had lasted two to five days, if I went in knowing that and didn't end up having to transfer the hospital and then retransfer home and all that, all of that messiness in between, I would have had the perseverance or the the, the margin psychologically to just handle all the the pain and the and and the labor itself. And so even that um, psychological bandwidth and that awareness of of I can't emotionally handle this anymore was essentially what made me say. I just remember hearing that from my midwife, pausing between contractions, remember, <laughs> and saying to myself oh, I I want this baby out now. This is more important to me than, than some pride thing or some money thing. I need this baby out sooner for my own mental health, let alone physical health. Um, and there was also just all of that going on. So emotions ended up mattering more than logic at the point of decision. Logic kind of built the structure of all the details of what would it mean to try to go home and give birth breach and how did I get to where I was and what was my options at the hospital and what were my options when I went home, all of that. But the end decision was emotion. So number one, plan ahead, get as much details you can, get financial buffers, all that, um, so that you have options. Number two, emotions matter. And in this case, they, I would say they mattered, ended up mattering more than my, the details and the, and the information, although the information informed my emotions. Number three, this was huge. And this was very much something I thought about a lot after the decision and after my baby was born and healthy and doing well. But I really thought about the fact that something that I tell my clients a lot is that no health provider is God. And I don't mean this in a sacrilegious way. I mean this in the sense that we think of God as some all-knowing, all-powerful being, right? Uh, and health providers of all levels, whether you're talking about a physical trainer or a doctor, 
their intention is to help people, ideally, hopefully, right? Like they want to help you build stronger muscles or um, hit a certain weight goal or be out of pain, whatever it is, they're try- seeking to help you in some way if they're a health professional. But no one provider knows everything about every subject or every condition or every symptom cluster. No provider has a perfect tool. Like my... Um, the same ultrasound that was used on me the first time around was not being able to, was not clear to the provider who was using it. It wasn't, or, and the same tools that my, uh, that my home birth midwife used to figure out if my baby was head up or head down, those were tools that had been consistently accurate for her for hundreds of births. Uh, and they just hadn't been accurate to her, those two things, those two defining factors were not accurate to her. And maybe is there something she could have known that might have clued her into that? Maybe, but I didn't know that and she didn't know that. And it wasn't for lack of good intention and it wasn't for lack of skill in other areas. She still was a skillful practitioner. And so I remember thinking, there is no health provider who is God, who who can cure all things, fix all things, know all things. Tools can be misguiding, the same tools that we use to do lab testing or look at look at ultrasounds or take blood or take hair samples. Those can be misguiding. They can be everything from misread to um, the sample might be compromised or maybe the tool isn't sensitive enough to see something that really is there. And those are all things that we just have to accept, that we can do our best to find intelligent providers. We want to maintain some sense of trust in whoever we're working with the um, at the hospital or in the, in the area we're working on. But ultimately, we can only work with information that we have, whether we're the, the patient, such as myself, or the provider. And we want to really respect the fact that providers, for example, my home birth midwife, I really had to decide, am, am I angry with her? Is this upsetting? Like, did she do something wrong? And I think that those questions are so important to even face because that's something that I see clients that I end up working with who have been having pelvic pain for decades after a birth and delivery. That is something that they deal with is I'm still angry at that provider or they didn't, they lied to me. They didn't tell me that thing. And that can be true and that can be frustrating. And it's so important to acknowledge those emotions afterwards. Um, But even for myself, I had to ask myself, am I angry with this person? And let myself feel that if that was the case, I ended up deciding I wasn't (laughs) angry with her or frustrated. I think I was disappointed at most that, we didn't know sooner, but everything logically made sense of why we didn't know sooner. So number one, plan ahead. Number two, remember that emotions matter. Number three, no health provider is God. Number four, I've already hit on a little bit, but I'm calling it consent, consent, consent. Because I've already alluded to this, some of my clients who have had the hardest healing pathways have been my clients who felt like they didn't have consent or they didn't have like their will, their own will wasn't involved in making a decision on their health. I've seen this in a client of mine who's had multiple back surgeries who really felt pushed into a corner 
who can actually remember asking doctors, is there any other option? Is there anything else we can do? Is there, you know, can I try PT? Can I try medication? Is there any other thing we haven't considered? And she would ask them repeatedly those things. And then they say, no, you have to do surgery. You have to do surgery. She ended up having three back surgeries that only made her pain worse or at at least didn't help it at all, depending on which surgery we were talking about. Um, but she ended up finding later a chiropractor. She ended up finding me and having massive relief from her chronic pain. And she looks back and is frustrated that she had these doctors kind of pushing her in a corner and saying, you have to do a surgery now. You have to do it now. Even though it wasn't urgent, she was being pushed. This is your only option. And she, who of course wanted to be out of massive chronic pain, took the option that was being what she felt forced on her. Um, similarly, you know, I have a have had clients in the labor and delivery area who had cesareans that they don't feel that they would have needed just because the doctor was being impatient and um, they wish that they'd had more time to simply just do labor in a natural way at their own pace and they didn't realize labor might take longer than 24 hours um, and that could be healthy or fine. Um, so there's all these different things where, uh, at least for labor and delivery, where labor can be forced along in the hospital system for a variety of reasons. Um, and that client who ended up getting a cesarean ended up having some massive problems after her cesarean. And she just didn't feel like she had consent. If I go back and I was thinking, as I was thinking about, am I going to have the cesarean or am I going to go home and try and do a vaginal breech birth? I remember thinking, what what risks am I willing to handle? I know that there are risks with cesareans. I know that there will be a risk if I go home um, to try and do a breech birth. Maybe I'll have to come back to the hospital. I'll be even more tired. Um, I didn't really want to think that I'd go home uh, or I'd let myself go home if I thought that there's a chance that either me or the baby would be harmed or even killed. I mean, that sounds dramatic, but you feel that way when you're in a lot of pain like that. However, I was trying to weigh what are my risks. And I knew I have risks with cesarean. I could come out of a cesarean and have chronic ongoing numbness from a nerve being cut. I could come out of a cesarean with chronic headaches and migraines from my dural tube being twisted. There's actually, it's, if you, if you've ever heard this before from health providers, it's almost scarier to be a health provider because you know all the things that can go wrong. So I knew what could go wrong. And I had to tell myself, am I willing to still give consent, even if I know something might not be perfect? If I can, I give consent, not out of fear, not out of pressure, not because I have to, um, not, not even because my baby, I've been in labor for two days and I'm exhausted. Could I get to a point where I, where I can say I'm giving my self-consent in my heart. And I know no matter the consequences, I can own what happens to me next, not just feeling a victim. And I find that that's often what makes people feel worse is that they were a victim. That being the case, number five, the fifth thing that I found was most helpful to my recovery and, and absorbing the process that happened to me of, of the two days of, of labor and then transferring to the hospital and everything that happened there is realizing and, and operating out of this, this principle that I have absorbed in the past, which is bitterness and unforgiveness only hurt you. 
And this is a really hard pill to swaddle, swallow. You may have heard this before. Maybe this is totally new. Maybe you've heard it before, but you're like, yeah, Allison, but I am so mad at whoever, um, all the providers who haven't helped heal me yet, or the person who, or the event that I feel made this whole thing worse or made it even exist at all. You might have that. And that's something that is a very real part of our health histories when we're healing physically and biologically, there's also the psychological aspect of it. But prior to this event, I've spent in decades of my life processing through the Bible and through my relationship with God and through other very hurtful things that have happened to me relationally or financially, or uh, I'd say relationally is probably the biggest thing, um, being processing the fact that bitterness and unforgiveness only poison our own hearts. They don't affect other people outside of the fact that maybe they affect our relationship with them. Um, and usually in a negative way because we're feeling negative and we're angry. And even if it's we're not talking to the person that we're that we're angry at, we are that can come across. That might be the only thing you talk about with that person or you can feel stuck and that's all you think about is in that being in that rut of this thing that happened to me and there can be feelings of being a victim. All those things make us feel trapped, not free. And I knew that if I was even tempted to be angry, frustrated, bitter or unforgiving with myself, my spouse, my home birth midwife, my my uh, healthcare team at the hospital. If I was if I was angry, bitter and unforgiving at any of those people, and like I said, that includes myself, which is a huge huge factor, then I would only have more of a burden to carry on top of whatever was going to happen to me after I made my decision. Whatever happened to me, you know, with the cesarean, I knew if I was bitter and unforgiving about whatever happened, I was only going to feel worse. And so the pain that you can experience from from things happening to you that that harm you, that is real. Regret can be very real. Um, could things have gone differently for me in my cesarean and I be dealing with other problems? Um, there's a lot of options out there. Yes, I could have definitely had something worse happen to me in my cesarean. As it is, I'm healing really, really well. And I've even had friends who've had cesareans say, hey, you're healing faster than I did. I'm really happy for you. But but it wasn't a guarantee for me that I was going to come out of this in a healthful way. And so one thing that I found, some some practicals on bitterness and unforgiveness, because sometimes bitterness and unforgiveness, if you're really feeling it, like I'm really angry at that provider for, you know, they did that surgery and then things were never the same afterwards. Um, it's not that you... Uh, say, oh, that never happened, or this is not about devalidating the event, devalidating your emotions, but it's more so on on finding new ways that you can um, manage that energy of the bitterness and unforgiveness. And I'd say in some circumstances, in plenty of circumstances, it might be worth getting a counselor to help talk that through, to just get professional help to guide you through those that emotional um emotional puzzle and emotional complex of all these inner interlaying layers of what happened to you that can reinforce bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, so I'm not trying to simplify 
bad things happening in medical systems. Sometimes you do need to take legal action um, or it might be a good idea to take legal action because something unsafe or um, uh, illegal had happened that made you sick, sicker or, or ill. Um, however, so I'm, so I'm not saying don't, don't do something if somebody does something illegal or or possibly did harm you more. But just knowing that if that is something that you are currently dealing with, even if you take legal action, you can still work on bitterness and unforgiveness because the legal action is more setting things right and helping sure other people are safe, for, that that doesn't happen to other people from that provider. However, um, on top of that, there's doing soul care, doing heart care, doing emotion care of what do I do if this person doesn't live up to what I was expecting or this healing opportunity doesn't doesn't live up to what I was expecting. Um, So one thing that is super helpful is focusing on the outcome, especially if you had a good outcome or mainly if you had a good outcome. So at the end of the day, I had a baby. That's a good outcome. Even if I had other bad things mixed in, maybe maybe I could say the process was a bad thing or the financial expense was a bad or stressful thing. Um, we weren't thrilled about the financial expe- expense. No one's like, woohoo, money. But um, focusing on the good outcome is going to make a huge impact. Focusing on any good outcome. Can you say that you had a um, better relationship with someone, a better understanding of your body? Uh, you know, in my case, a baby. Did something not happen that was bad that could have happened? Were you saved from certain other outcomes that might have been a possibility? So focusing on any good or positive outcomes that you had in a scenario, even if it was even if it wasn't all what you wanted, that can be incredibly helpful with bitterness and unforgiveness. Owning what happened to you can also be really helpful with bitterness and unforgiveness because a a twin sister to bitterness and unforgiveness is victimization. This this concept or this feeling that you are a victim to what happened. And while there can be a certain element where that might be true, being kind of backed into a corner, not being given information that you needed realizing that as much as you can own, this is what I did that led here, or I'm going to own, you could even, you don't have to even own anything that happened up to that event that where the health journey didn't go the way you wanted to. You can own how you respond after that and say, you know what? I now have a body that is struggling with XYZ thing, but I'm going to own that body and I'm going to best figure out how can I steward it? What can I do to help optimize it? Can I help um, heal it? Can I get my body back to the way it was before? Can I help get it better than the way it was before? And having that ownership gives us a sense of of actually being able to make a change and not being having feeling like a victim, not feeling um, powerless, but actually feeling powerful can be huge because it shifts the focus from that person who did that thing to me that I couldn't change to me, the thing that I can change doing something right now and a future that is much brighter in that way. This is something that has been huge for me in my gut health. I had tons of providers who did not help me, who devalidated me, who who just didn't have any answers for me. And that was honestly probably more frustrating to me um, in the two plus years of my IBS and, and really chronic GI problems that 
those were incredibly painful. And one of the positive outcomes that came from my GI journey and the, the health journey that I was not anticipating in my life was the fact that I'm now a health provider to other people. I actually help other women like myself. Um, I've ha- helped over 100 women. I did the math for our 100th episode coming up, and I've helped over 100 women overcome pain, symptoms, GI problems, bloating, constipation, headaches, migraines, nausea. Did I already say nausea? Um, <laughs> I've helped women, over 100 women overcome all those things from after they were told by other practitioners that they would not be able to get healthier. And that's a huge positive outcome. Was that immediate or relevant or not relevant? Oh, was I aware of that when I was super sick in 2014, 2015? No, all I could think about is why am I going through this? This is so frustrating. But I took ownership of my health and this is where it's led. And for most of my clients who I've been able, had the honor of working with longer term, they've been able to report the same thing. And you listener, you might be able to think of somebody who you've encouraged because of your health journey or you've given wisdom to, or you've been able to say, hey, I'm there with you too. Let's do this together. And that could be a positive outcome. You might be encouraging somebody else in their own health. Uh, Maybe it's a totally different health problem, but they're encouraged by you uh, tackling what's going on. And they say, hey, I have the strength now too to to tackle my health because of me watching you, because of them watching your actions or your intention. So those would be positive outcomes you could focus on. But that all comes back to ownership, helping fight bitterness and unforgiveness. Um, Another thing is gratitude. And this gets into taking that, focusing on the positive outcome and just repeatedly focusing on it. So being grateful each day, you could keep a gratitude journal, write it down, just tell it to people. A lot of times when people ask me about my, my health story or my, my labor and delivery story, while I end up having to tell them things that, yeah, it didn't go the way I wanted to, I can say, but I'm so grateful that I actually really enjoyed my labor at home. I know that sounds really weird. It was it was genuinely painful, but it was so meaningful to me that I was able to labor at home and develop all those memories with my husband and with my birth team and with my mother and, and a friend of mine who was able to come over and support me in labor. And I, for those two days, thought that I was going to have my baby at home. So I have all those positive feelings of imagining my baby being born at home. And so, and, and honestly, feeling the strength of my body, feeling, feeling what labor feels like, which was really intriguing to me of this magical thing that all these women talk about labor. Labor is the most painful thing you'll ever go through. Labor this, labor that. And I, what is this labor thing? It was so meaningful to me to get to go through labor even. So being able to say those things to people, write them down, um, crystallize them can is, is, a, is a form of elongating, focusing on the positive outcome. And then another thing is just perspective, remembering the details of what happened, how it happened. Even me sharing this podcast has been an exercise of perspective where I'm retelling and remembering oh yeah, how did I end up at the point where I needed a cesarean and what were all the steps that happened before and how did I logically get there so it doesn't just feel like I got whiplashed and smacked in the face and ended up in a surgery room with a baby coming out of me, but rather 
I was able to say every step of the way, I can remember, oh, that decision led to that decision, that information led to that decision, this point led to this point. And remembering the details of, oh, you know what? Actually, while I did have an anesthesiologist who I felt was kind of like a jerk to me about my decisions and options for having a baby, I had a really great um, nurse midwife that was actually a hospital staff person who was being really kind and helping um basically translate or even advocate for me at points in time when I was in mid contraction or super tired or frustrated with the other hospital staff. And so there's these little things that you can say, okay, a lot of this, maybe the end result sucked, but is there anything that I could do that help remind me um, how I ended up at that place? Was there any person that I interacted with that that was actually a positive interaction, which mixes in the whole gratitude and focusing on positives. But that is perspective, just keeping in the whole story in mind and not just maybe poignant parts that feel particularly painful or are are the what you have been focusing on. So that is it. We have five different steps. Those are five things that I repeatedly did. Uh, it repeatedly went over in my mind after I had, even after I had my cesarean, let alone kind of was trying to do them as I was making my decision. I was, I was going through kind of my logic and, and planning ahead and information details. I went through my emotional state. How was I doing emotionally? What did I need emotionally? Um, making a decision off of emotions and, and honoring my emotions and saying they mattered enough to at least impact my decision. Um, remembering that none of my healthcare providers wanted to harm me. Um, none of them were God. We were all doing our best to help have a healthy baby and a healthy me. Um, making sure I had consent as much as possible. And even if I didn't have consent in the moment, um, just remembering that you can always have ownership afterwards for here's my body now and I'm going to own how I can move forward with it. And then lastly, just remembering bitterness and unforgiveness only hurt us. They weigh us down. They make us feel more like victims. They can cause us to feel frustrated, stuck, and powerless um, even after the event, the initiating event, or um, something that might derail or have altered your health journey. And so just keeping in mind to focus on any positive outcomes that have come from even these bad things, thinking about um, gratitude and, and writing these things down or, or retelling them, um, being grateful for any small details and having perspective, um, remembering the details of what happened, what led to what, and just being grounded in that reality, um, opposed to focusing on maybe parts that it's easier to, to exact, not exaggerate, but to, to blow up in our minds of saying, this was the whole event. Well, it wasn't the whole event. The cesarean wasn't the whole event. There was so many other parts to it leading up to the cesarean that were valuable and meaningful. So that is it on my conversation on, on what to do when your health journey goes in a different direction than you were planning. Um, one verse that came to mind as I was even putting this together, and and I know I don't bring up scripture a lot or the Bible, but this is something that's so important, and our spiritual health is so much a part of, of our entire body health. But there's this verse in the Bible, in Proverbs 4.23, it says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. 
And just a reminder to y'all, like life comes from different places than just your cells, just your biology. Life is in the relationships we have. Life is in um, our emotions. Life is in our experiences. And so your life is part of what you craft and what you create, not just what happens to you or what your body is having happen to it on a moment to moment or day to day basis. So That is it for today's episode. I hope this was super helpful and insightful. I'd be so interested if you listen to this episode and you have another question or you want to share a little bit of your story or want to interact at all. We have a way that you can actually send a voice memo and possibly be featured on the Better Belly podcast. You can just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash askallison. Allison is... A-S-K-A-L-L-I-S-O-N. Just click record, ask your question, and I would love to chat with you more. You can also click the link in the show notes and it will send you to that same place. You may get your question featured on the podcast and get my thoughts directly into your burning question. In the meantime, I hope you guys have a great rest of your day and I will catch you on the next episode. All right, guys, that is it for our episode today. If you love this episode, I would encourage you, we have so much more coming down the line. Subscribe so you never miss a beat. And if you thought of a friend while you were listening to this episode, I encourage you, take a screenshot, share it with that friend. I cannot count how many times when I tell someone I'm a gut health therapist that they say, oh, I know someone who needs you. So send that friend a love note to their gut and do us a favor and pass this podcast along to them. Other ways that you can support us is by leaving a rating on review on Apple iTunes or on Spotify. Just click the link in the show notes or go into your podcast viewer listener and leave us a rating and review. It helps other people just like you to find our podcast and find encouragement in their health. Other ways that you can stay in the conversation is by following us on Instagram and Facebook at Better Belly Therapies. I love connecting with our listeners and it means so much if you drop by and said hi. And remember, as always, our motto, miracles are immediate, but healing takes time. Catch you guys next week.